You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. I'm sorry that uh, I left my USB stick at home with the words that we normally put on the screen, but there are Bibles at the back, so if you want to go and get one of those, 2 Corinthians, I'll read it anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 6 to 10, it's on page 1160. I want to read from verse 1 just to help you with the context. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now I feel that um, when I'm studying this, looking at this, I feel for me as though I've kind of been living it. And I hope that for you, as you hear this, you'll realize that this is God speaking to you right now. I found it immensely helpful personally uh, looking at this. And maybe some of the things, there are some of you who'll say, well, duh, we knew that. And, well, good for you. Um, For me, uh, I learned some new things in this. If you're not a believer, I hope you'll see just how significant and how important it is. Uh, Yesterday, some of us were at a conference in Edinburgh Uh, with Matt Chandler and he was preaching on to live as Christ and to die as gain and I uh, was tweeting some of the remarks to people and I tweeted the actual verse to live as Christ and to die as gain and someone immediately responded why don't you go and kill yourself then and then afterwards said sent another thing said what a horrible view of life now it might just be there's a certain logic in that There might might just be that somebody's here who's saying, you're talking about dying and you're talking about it in such a positive way. Isn't that horrible? And I think the reason that people think like that is they don't understand what the Christian hope is. And I also want to suggest this, that some of us as Christians don't grasp what our real hope is. So that's my aim this morning, is to help you see what our goal is, what our aim is. Because some of us do lose heart, don't we? We get discouraged, we get fed up, we feel like giving up. Some of us also sometimes feel like there's something missing in our lives. It's like when you two, um, Bono and so on, profess faith, at least three of the band you two profess faith, and then they would sing Psalm 40 at their concerts. 
But then they wrote a song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And lots of people say, see, we told you they weren't Christians, because if you're a Christian, you've found what you're looking for. But you need to, to listen to the whole of that song. Because actually, I think it's a very Christian song, that there's something within us that we say, well, we're not there yet. We've got something, but we're not there. So, uh, I see the words are up on the screen. Thank you, Ramon. I want to look at this in these these verses, what our hope is, what our goal is. But I read this poem. uh, It was entitled Terminal Care. It appeared in the nursing mirror a few years ago. It's not a great poem. The poetry is pretty awful. But the sentiment, I think, you will get. I huddle warmly inside my corner bed, watching the other patients sipping tea. I wonder why I am so long getting well and why it is that no one will talk to me. The nurses are so kind, they brush my hair. On the days I feel too ill to read or sew, I smile and chat, try not to show my fear. But they will not tell me what I want to know. The visitors come, I see their eyes, become embarrassed as they pass my bed. What lovely flowers, they say, then hurry on in case their faces show what can't be said. The surgeon comes with student retinue, mutters to sister, deaf to my mute plea. I want to tell them of this dread I feel inside, but they're all too kind to talk to me. The chaplain passed on his weekly round, a friendly smile and calm, untroubled brow. He speaks with deep sincerity of life. I'd like to speak of death, but don't know how. I suspect that there are one or two people, and I'm one of them, who when I looked at what I was going to do with the children, and that just was what was coming up in the mother's catechism that I'm using, is it nice to talk to children about death? We want to shelter children from that. I think it's essential. I think it's important and vital. Well, here we are. What is the Christian confidence? That's what verse 6 says. We have confidence. Therefore, we are always confident. How can we be confident when faced with death? How can we be confident about life? How can we be confident about anything if nothing really lasts? We cannot be confident in ourselves. We cannot be confident in our circumstances. The confidence that Paul refers to, he's referred to before in this book. In chapter 2, for example, in verse 14, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Chapter 3, verse 4, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Chapter 3, again, and verse 12, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And here, therefore, we are always confident. Paul is being battered. Paul is being attacked on all different signs. Paul has faced uh, death. I loved, I'm sorry for quoting Matt Chandler again, but please do, when it comes online, go and listen to his sermon. Because especially for me, the first one in the morning, I thought it was just fantastic. And he talks about, once he was talking about, once you've faced death, once you've experienced death, you've got nothing to be afraid of. 
uh, and a very famous sermon by Ravi Zacharias, where Ravi said, imagine speaking to Lazarus after he's been raised from the dead. What's he going to be afraid of? He's been there. And uh, in commenting on that, Matt was talking about how Paul shipwrecked. What does he do? He gets another ship. He gets shipwrecked again. Gets shipwrecked again. Goes on the shore, stumbles ashore, and after surviving a shipwreck, gets bitten by a deadly snake. And he's, he's saying, Matt was kind of good. Paul, of anyone, has to go, What? You're kidding me. Oh, one thing after another, bang, 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 being hit and hammered all the time. And this is the very Paul who says, we're confident, we're confident, we're confident. Well, how can we have confidence? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the empty tomb, because of the Holy Spirit. You go back through the chapters we've looked at already in 2 Corinthians, and that's what he says. We are broken clay pots, but we are confident because we are being renewed. See, I loved, I can't remember who it was, Lucas, I think, who said, what happens to us? Oh, it was Joseph. It was Joseph. What happens to us when we die? We get a new body. Absolute confidence. I think when we get older, we lose that confidence. We're afraid. Chandler again said, the idea of dying is gain has almost completely vanished from evangelicalism. We are life lovers. And then this great line, the freest you will ever be is that moment when you understand that to die is gain. When you grasp what Paul is saying, that to die is gain, you will never, ever be freer than that until you get to heaven. God is working within us. The resurrection life of Jesus has been planted deep within us. When we become believers, that's what's happening. God is renewing our hearts and our minds. We are moving house. We are getting a new body. Daniel Niles tells a story of missionaries in Africa who worked long and hard amongst a particular tribe before one family became Christian. And the minute they became Christian, the eldest son fell seriously ill. And so the missionaries thought, we've got to pray for this child to recover because this is going to be disastrous. But the eldest son didn't recover. He died. And then the chief of the tribe came to them and said, we want to become Christians too. The missionaries were surprised. Why? Why? We want to have a God who can make us strong to face death the way you and the boy faced it. It's interesting. There's a problem sometimes with us praying for healing. Sometimes it reflects an attitude that death is the worst thing. We don't really believe about heaven. Sometimes death is not the worst thing. Now, death is horrible and death is an enemy. And for many, many reasons, we pray for people to be healed. But we are all going to die. And we need to have this confidence. He then speaks about his preference, our preference. We're always confident. Know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He says the preference of the believer is to be at home with Jesus. He has confidence in God. But, and for me this is really important, he knows there is something 
missing. For me, this is an, enor- an enormous relief to grasp. I keep coming across, or I kept coming across, Christians who were always aware that God was there, who always felt the presence of Christ, who never doubted. But that wasn't my experience, and it's not the experience of many other people. Sometimes I wondered if I was a real Christian. Sometimes I wondered if they were real. But when I read this, it's so much more realistic and makes so much more sense. We do not see. We are away from the Lord in body. God is not accessible by sight. There are times when we are not aware of God's presence. There are times when we are unsure of his goodness. And there may even be the darkest of times when we are unsure of his existence. And there are many people who go through that experience. And they think, well, there's an absence So I can't really be a Christian. But the Apostle Paul recognizes that. He said, we are away from the Lord. You've got to think, Paul, come on, you're joking. You're always with the Lord. You're writing scripture. You're you're doing miracles. You're, You're teaching about Jesus. But he doesn't say you're away from the Lord. He says we are away from the Lord. What does that mean? We know that God's presence is in this world. We know that all human beings, in him we live and move and have our being. We know that God's presence is in his people through his spirit. We know that Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. So how can we be absent from him? Because we do not see him and we do not always feel him. Sometimes, and for me this is rare. Now for you it may be different. I can't speak for everyone else. I'm teaching what the Bible says. I'm trying to reflect it in terms of different people's experience. Sometimes I can sit in a a service. Sometimes I can be praying. Sometimes I can just be walking along and be deeply, deeply conscious of God's presence. remember one time in Livingston walking back from church and being so conscious of God's presence that I actually wanted to die. Not despair, but just being so... Lord... I don't want this to go away. I I want to be with you. Now, maybe I'm not a great Christian. That is not my experience the vast majority of the time. I've had it sometimes, very rarely though. And most of us, we don't live like that. Most of us, we struggle on. We're not conscious of God's presence. We don't feel, we don't see Jesus. Some fake it. Some pretend Some are constantly talking all the time about seeing and experiencing and feeling Jesus and Jesus tells them this and Jesus tells them that. But Paul says, we don't see. We are away from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now I know in part. That's such a relief. Can you grasp how much of a relief that is? That you don't know it all? That you're not always in the presence of Jesus? That there are things you don't understand? Things that you don't get? And you go, oh my goodness, thank thank God that that's the normal Christian experience. We long for that day when we shall know as we are known. So if you're a Christian here and you're struggling in some aspects of your faith, and you don't feel the presence of God, and you long to know Jesus better, and you feel so weak, and you feel so useless, 
then you're in Paul's position. This is written precisely for you. You're longing for that day when you will see him. When there'll never be a shadow of doubt, there'll never be a question, because you will be in his presence. Now, I know by the Spirit he's present with us in different ways. And I know he watches over, and I know he protects us, and I know he gives us his word. But I long for the day when I no longer need the Bible. When I'm in heaven with Christ. I'm going to take you, he says, to be with me where I am. Philippians 1, 20, Paul says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I stay in the body. See, as Christians, we have this tremendous hope. We have this taste of God like now, right now. We have this grasp, small as it is, this knowledge of who Jesus is. We're growing in knowledge, growing in experience, and longing for that day when we'll be there with him. And when my friend tweeted, why don't you kill yourself then? The answer is very simple. It's in the text. Because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I've got both. I've got a life that's worth living. And I've got a home to go to. Whereas for you, because you don't have a home to go to, you really don't have a life that's worth living. You're stuck in the coldness and darkness of an atheistic belief system. So our goal then, our confidence is in God. Our preference is to be with Jesus, but the, the, there's that. It's something, there's something missing there for us. So what's our goal? Now, if I was writing this, I'd be saying, well, our goal is to get to know Jesus better. Mm-mm. That's not what he says. Look at what he says. We make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Our goal is not to speculate about our future state. Our goal is to please the Lord now. Our goal for us to live is Christ. It is not to sit down and meditate and say, well, I'm just dying to go to heaven. It's because we know we are going to heaven. We seek to live for Jesus on earth. Some think if you're looking forward to heaven, why would you care about earth? The very opposite. We want to please Christ by serving him on earth. We are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Please take those words, every single one of you. Christian or not, whether you believe in God or not, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we are all going to receive what is due to us for what we do whilst in this body, whether good or bad. You'll notice it's everybody as individuals. We will stand before God as individuals, not as families, not as societies, not as clans. And there will be no excuses. The buck stops with us. No shuffling off responsibility. We live in a society where people always want to push responsibility onto someone else. The great teaching of Christianity is that human beings are individuals. I do not know of a single religion which really teaches that the way that Christianity does. 
and that all of us are responsible for standing before God. There's an old, old song that I almost asked uh, David Henderson to to sing. Um, Didn't get to it in time. I'm sure he would have jazzed it up. But um, it's quite a somber song. Uh, it's a kind of, it is a country and western. It doesn't make sense to me to have it sung country and western because it's a wee bit too cheerful uh, country and western for that. You've got to stand one day in judgment. You've got to stand there by yourself and no one here can stand there for you. You've got to stand there by, himself, by yourself. You've got to face one day your maker. You've got to face him by yourself and no one here can face him for you. That's what this is saying. All of us are going to stand before God in judgment. And it's going to be open. It's going to be an appearance like a public court. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It comes out of Daniel 7, verse 10. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was opened and the books were opened. Please understand this. One day, there will be no more secrets, no more hypocrisy, no more sham, no cover-ups, no excuses, no agendas, no manipulations. Things, as Jesus said, that have been whispered in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Remember that the next time you whisper a juicy piece of gossip or have a wee nag, moan, complaint about someone. The books will be opened. It's public. And it's going to be fair. When you read this, it sounds like salvation by works. The dead are judged according to what they have done. The things that are done in the body, whether good or bad. No, it's not. You interpret the Bible with the Bible. When we come to know Jesus, we do works. It changes our lives. And that will be obvious on the day of judgment. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, their deeds follow after them. This is the work that God requires to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus in Matthew 24, welcome, you fed the poor, you visited the sick, those in prison. When do we do that? When you did it for me, that's when you did it. Depart from me. You didn't feed the poor, you didn't. When did we do that? See, I find it quite interesting that Christians sometimes go, well, um, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus, but things like prayer or... uh, telling the gospel, or helping the poor, these are kind of optional extras that you add on. No, no, they're the very essence of being a Christian. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works, and the evidence that we are saved will be seen in our works, and on the day of judgment we will stand before Christ, and all the rubbish that's in our life, and all the wrong things that are there that we still do, they're all forgiven by the blood of Christ, but what remains is what's done for him. Some people's works are burnt up like dross and they escape, says Paul, as it were, by fire. And others, their deeds follow after them. Another song for Dave would have been, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown? And that one you can yee to as much as you want because it's a great song, great happy song. At one level, but at another level it's not. See, some of you as Christians, you're so absorbed with yourself and so absorbed with your own misery and so absorbed with your own life. You haven't time to think about stars which in, in, in your crown, which is really thinking about other people. 
Everything still as a Christian is about you, 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 you. And God says, you're going to stand before me one day in judgment. Look what Paul's concerned with here. He's been hammered by the people in this church. And he's concerned for them, and he's concerned for their glory, and he's concerned that they would bear fruit. Do not be deceived, Paul writes to the Galatians. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. You will not stand before God in the day of judgment. I I didn't have any opportunity to do good. Not one of us here can do that. You have plenty opportunity to do what is good, to do what is right. And you do it not because you're trying to save yourself. You do it because you've been saved and you do it because you're going to be with Jesus and while you're hanging around waiting, while you're on the journey, you're going to do the utmost to glorify him on earth and to please him and to please the Spirit and to please the Father. And you'll notice that not once in any of that will you find Paul or anyone else saying, and I do this to please myself. You have to stop and think about your life. You, the most sobering thing for every one of us here is that we are going to stand before God on the day of judgment. And it's a, it's a glorious thing and a wonderful thing. But sometimes I just feel, and I feel this for myself, that I'm, I'm way too self-absorbed. And I need to look beyond that. And in actual fact, to be any use on this earth, I need to be able to look what's, to what's going to come, to the day of judgment and to being with Christ. And that will make me useful on this earth. Our faith, look at verse 7. We live by faith, not by sight. You can't see heaven. I find it absurd. I find it insane. I find it unbiblical and just nonsense that Christians buy up books by the million that someone describes themselves going to heaven. There's a book just now, you get it in all the airport bookshops uh, of proof of heaven. Jesus is the proof of heaven. I don't need stories from people who've been to the pearly gates and come back and so on. Why are these books so popular? I'll tell you why they're popular, especially amongst Christians. It's because we don't believe what the Bible says, so we're looking for, for some external evidence. That's insane as a Christian. I don't know if people have been to heaven or not. Paul will later on in Corinthians talk about going up to the third heaven, whatever that means, and, and, and everything else. And he says, I don't care. It's about who Jesus is and what Jesus has promised. We cannot see heaven, and we cannot see Jesus, and we cannot see the glory that awaits us. But we can trust Jesus. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Isn't that a fantastic thing? Jesus left this earth to go and prepare a place. And he said, if I go and do that, I'm coming back to get you. There's a place prepared. 
First Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. By the eye of faith, we see him who is invisible. That's our faith. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to trust in God's Word, to trust what Jesus has done, to commit our lives to follow Him, to believe that He has prepared a place for us, to live for Him on this earth. And sometimes we will have experiences where we are so filled with the Spirit, where we are so conscious of God's presence that we would never ever doubt and we don't believe that we would ever doubt. And then there are other times when we are so discouraged and we are so depressed and the chemicals in our body are going all over the place and our mind is in a mess and our lives are being hammered, bang, 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 all the time. And we still believe because we live by faith, not by sight, because we believe in what Jesus has done, and we believe his promise. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is not built on my spiritual experience. My hope is not built on what I sense and feel all the time. Go back to chapter 4, verse 14. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with, with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. We know that. Now, if you're not a Christian, you need to, to come to understand and to grasp this. You need to come to Christianity Explored. You, you, you need to read God's Word. You need to go home and plead with the Lord. Lord, show me yourself. You need where you sit right now when we pray in just a moment. You need to bow your head and you just say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And if you are a Christian, you need to get over yourself. All of us do. We just, it's, it's not about us. It's about Jesus and what he's done. And it's when we grasp that. Going back to the, that Chandler quote, the freest you will ever be is that in that moment when you understand that to die is gain. Once you've got that, you are incredibly free. Roy Clements, writing about this, said this, and I'll finish with this. Do not begrudge the Christian his grave then. You who are bereaved, you do not have to mourn without hope. You who are old, listen to this, you who are old, you do not have to die without peace. You who are young, you do not have to live without purpose. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement it brings to us. Thank you that we have every confidence because of what you have done. Lord, we know that we are away from you. And sometimes we feel a lot further than at other times. We know your spirit is here. Even where two or three are gathered in your name, you are here. We know, Lord, that we can be filled with your spirit. We thank you for that and we pray we would be. We know that we can have a taste of heaven. But nothing we experience on this earth will be heaven. So, Lord, help us to long to be with you. Not so that we'd be morbid about this life, but so that we would rejoice in this life. And when the pain and the hurt and the illness and the betrayals and the selfishness and our own sin and other people's sin flood in upon us, 
that we will not be overwhelmed because we know this is not the end, but the best is yet to be. Lord, I pray for those in our fellowship who are dying and who know that they are dying and who are like the lady in that poem, who are afraid. I pray, O Lord, that you would help them to see that their death will be their gain, that the day of their death will be greater than the day of their birth. I pray you will give them that peace, that they may die in peace, and that your angels would watch over them and take them to be with you. I pray for those of us who are not in that position as far as we know. Lord, help us to live for you, to live with a purpose. And I plead especially for those who don't know you. Lord Jesus, have mercy on them. By your Spirit, speak. Lord, draw them to yourself. Help them to see your beauty and the wondrous gift that you offer, the gift of eternal life. Lord, grant that every single person in here would accept that. For we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.